everybody. We are going to be in the book of Ezekiel this morning, if you brought your Bible with you. We're going to be in Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 11 through 16. Uh, you can go ahead and mark that if you have your scripture there in front of you. If not, that'll be on the screen when we get to that point, and there is likely a pew Bible somewhere close to you if you'd like to pick up one of those as well. We will also jump into uh, John chapter 10 uh, a little bit, just in case any of you want to mark that. So, can you remember the first time as a child when you saw a teacher or an administrator or someone in any position of leadership over you, an adult, out in the wild? You know what I mean, right? Like you went to Walmart or you went to the store and you just happened to run into them there and it kind of blew your mind as a child. You're like, I didn't know you existed outside of the school space. Does anybody remember that? Like you have a real life, you actually do things other than It seems like it's common for especially young school children to just assume, and I know I did this as well, that, you know, that kindergarten teacher just lived at the kindergarten, right? That she she was there and she stayed there. She didn't have a life besides that. She was kindergarten teacher. That's who she was. That's who her identity was. I can remember that becoming painfully obvious when I was in high school. I had an uncle that... Uh, ran a DJ business on the side, and he uh, ended up overbooking himself a little uh, sometimes uh, and would ask myself to help with him. I might have been fresh out of high school at this point because Cheryl came along with me, uh, and we uh, set up the, uh, the sound system and the music player. He actually had it all set up, and we were playing the music for a Sweetwater High School uh, class reunion. Uh, we were there, we didn't think anything of it, and, and then as we're there and, and as we're, we're starting to play a few songs, we see one of our teachers actually walk in. It turned out that she belonged to the class uh, whose party we were DJing uh, this anniversary, and I felt, and I still do, I felt so bad for her that she had to come and, and like in this social setting and have her students watching her every move, and, and I remember having to, to come to that conclusion, right, that this is a normal person with a normal life. There's nothing surreal. There's nothing. There's nothing untouchable. There's nothing about this person that that is is so far beyond that I can't identify with. We often do that with people that we look up to, don't we? That we we put them on a pedestal, or we assume that their their life is wholly different than ours. And when we have those moments where we realize that they're normal, that they're just like us, it kind of sets everything into perfect perspective. Remember one more story for you. I was a student at a youth camp one time, and I remember uh, the pastor that was there that was speaking that was actually the first time that I thought to myself, I want to do this for a living. Uh, he had a, a cross shaved in the back of his head, uh, and the next summer we all did the same thing. We bleached our hair. I did the sun in stuff. Does anybody remember sun in? I had orange hair, and I shaved a cross uh, in the back of my head, and we thought we were the coolest things ever uh, because that summer before, not only was he a great preacher, but I remember going out to one of the uh, basketball tournaments that you have when you go to summer camp, and him being there, playing in the tournament, taking it a little too seriously a couple of times, and just being a normal guy, not untouchable in that sense. You know, people who work with children will tell you that if you want to communicate with kids, you have to literally and figuratively get down on their level, right? It's kind of, if you talk with kids much, it's kind of a 
an inherent reaction or just an automatic reaction to, especially like with, a, with one of your own kids, if you have something you really want to communicate, to, to get down on your knees, you know, to kind of kneel, to kind of, you know, p- put your hands on them and just make face-to-face eye contact, eye level with them to try to communicate what you're trying to say because there's just, again, something within us that we know when we get down on that level, when we can make level face-to-face eye-to-eye contact, that it just speaks something that us standing up and looking down doesn't speak. This is often a test in people that we, uh, we look up to and that we, especially for public office. Um, now I wouldn't use this analogy, but the world uses it often. Anytime there's a presidential election, they'll, they will say, is this someone you would, again, from a worldly perspective, so don't read too much into it, they'll say, is this a guy or a gal you could have a beer with? Meaning that, is this someone you could hang out with? Is this someone that you could spend some time with, some downtime with? Think about back in the early 90s when Bill Clinton was brand new on the scene, running for the president, and he showed up on Arsenio Hall's show with the saxophone, right? He was identifying with the youth. He was getting down on their level, and it ended up being pretty effective for him. We want to know that the people, even the people that we look up to, are like us, are someone with whom we can identify with. It's like seeing a picture of a fast, uh, seeing a picture of a celebrity going through a fast food drive-thru. Oh, yes, they have a normal life. They're just like us, because it's hard to believe someone shouting advice to you from an ivory tower, isn't it? It's hard to someone that you look up to but in no way identify with to take any advice from them. At least it's that way with me. Now, you have no idea what it's like to be a normal person. I would think if I saw someone shouting from an ivory tower or speaking about a situation that I'm going through that they never seem to have gone through, like you have no idea what it's like to deal with this because you live a charmed life. When someone steps down to our level, though, and recognizes, we can recognize that they are indeed a normal person with normal person issues, suddenly what they have to say, at least to my ears, becomes more palatable, becomes something I'm a little more willing to listen to. If you can't identify with my struggles and my joys, I'm probably not going to pay much attention to what you have to say. And we see in the story of Christmas the ultimate example of someone getting down on our level, so to speak, of someone stooping and ascending so that they could come to us and rescue us, even dwelling in the same skin that we do, being tempted in every way that we are. Christmas, the Advent story, is a story of true love, and true love descends. It comes down. It comes to us. This means Advent is the ultimate love story. In the nativity, God stoops to our level, gets down and looks us in the eye to tell us that he's come to rescue us, that he wants to save us, that there is hope, that there can be peace, and certainly that he loves us. And we see Ezekiel prophesying to this end in the passage we're going to read this morning, Ezekiel 34, 11 through 16, and we see Jesus kind of noting that prophecy in John chapter 10 as well. But before we open the scriptures, Let's go to God in prayer one more time. Father, we thank you for coming to get us. God, we thank you for stooping down to our level, not just on, in the nativity, but every time that you come to us through your Holy Spirit, 
God, to think that you exist in a timeless and sovereign heaven, and yet also that you're here with us in this moment, is beyond my ability to comprehend. So, Lord, I am thankful that you are beyond me, yet with me. God, we thank you for coming to us despite the fact that we didn't deserve it. And God, I pray now, as you always have, God, that you would come to us in this moment, God, that you would remove distractions from our hearts and from our minds, and you would open up your word to us so that we might receive the truth that you have placed for us there. God, I pray that you remove myself and any other, uh, any other things on the outside from this equation. And God, I pray that you would just speak truth, that that truth might be heard, and that that truth would bring transformation. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Ezekiel 34, starting in verse 11. Ezekiel writes these words. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Ezekiel is prophesying against the shepherds of Israel, the leaders of Israel, kings and others who were in positions of power who had abandoned their sheep, abandoned their post. The very thing that God raised them to a position of power to do, they had decided not to do it, which was to lead the people spiritually, to maintain the connection between God and his people. They had abandoned their post and allowed the sheep to their own devices. And when you allow sheep to their own devices, things go south quickly. Ezekiel also prophesies against other sheep after this passage that we just read. Uh, other sheep that he calls the, 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 uh, 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 the fat sheep for being harmful toward their fellow sheep. Uh, after verse 16, the kind of sheep that would turn on one another, who would hurt their brothers or sisters in Israel. Uh, these were the kind of people that Ezekiel was prophesying against. You know, the same can be said for the church today. The same can be said for the world today. <clears throat> that many of those who claim to be our leaders our, are leading us astray. That just because someone has a platform, that just because someone has uh, some sort of, of, of position that says we should look to them, doesn't mean that we should look to them. Instead, we should look to God, uh, and if they are not following God, we should not follow them. Yet there are many people in the world, and there always have been. This is not some new phenomenon. As long as the people of God have existed, there have been people within the people of God who have sought to lead for their own selfish reasons, for their own selfish gain, and have therefore led people astray, seeking power, seeking wealth, seeking fame and fortune. And those things have, have hurt 
subvert the kingdom of God over and over again for as old as the kingdom of God is. Now, God is ultimately going to win, but we need to recognize that reality. Not only that, but we are also known, perhaps you've noticed this, that we are also known to turn on each other from time to time. That sometimes church folk don't always get along with each other. Sometimes things go south. In any relationship, there's going to be conflict. There's going to be people tearing each other down. That's part of humanity. It should not be that way, yet we can also recognize that it is often that way. And so this is not a different world that Ezekiel is speaking into. It's a world that we can wrap our minds around. The leaders have failed the people. The people themselves have failed the people. And the sheep themselves, the people of Israel, were looking to these leaders and they were looking in the wrong place. All who look to the world for salvation are orphaned eventually. They are left hopeless. They are left abandoned. If we are looking to some worldly figure, even if it is a good worldly figure, even if it's a good politician or a good pastor, a good church leader or a good worship leader, if we are looking to humanity as our primary leaders, we are looking in the wrong direction. There was only one good shepherd, and Israel, prior to the coming of Jesus, did not have that good shepherd. Now, as the ultimate shepherd, God says that he will place himself among the sheep. In verse 12, he uses that exact phrase, that he will be among them. He uses the phrase, I myself, three times in this passage, noting with importance, drawing a big red flag to this truth that God will be personally involved with shepherding Israel in the future, that he will be literally among them. And of course, we see that in the person of Jesus Christ. In verse 12, God says that he will rescue the people. Again, the picture is painted of sheep who have spread out all over the place. There's been no shepherd to, to keep them within their borders. There's been no shepherd to make sure that they stay protected from enemies, and, and they've been scattered because of that. We know what's going on behind the scenes, right? We know that because the people of God turned from God, especially the leaders, that God allowed a foreign people to come and, and, and use them as a tool of judgment against the people of God, and that led to the people of God being removed from the promised land and being spread out. Of course, that's what he's talking about here, but there's also a metaphor in there as well of how as we are people apart, like absent of a leader, not looking to Christ, being failed by the leaders of the world, we just kind of kind of spread out, like even, even, even in our own selves. There's no boundaries to our thoughts, to our behaviors. Uh, there's no safety to the way that we live because everything is just kind of diffuse and just out there, and it's, it's hard to even really grab a hold of. Maybe you can identify that, identify with that and notice that at work in our world today. And in, in, the, in the church today, there, there seems to be so many things that we would say it shouldn't be this way, it should be better, but most of us don't even know where to start because everything is just kind of spread out and chaotic. And God says that he will come and he will establish order. He will bring the people back. And of course, he literally does that eventually in, in, in fulfillment to this prophecy of bringing the people back to Jerusalem. But he also ultimately fulfills this prophecy within Jesus when he comes and he lives among the people and he gives us, again, those boundaries of safety, those boundaries of what we need to do to be saved, which is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the only good shepherd that there really is. And he establishes that rescue for us. He comes back 
to get us. Every good story, in my opinion, every good movie has an element of rescue in it. Especially those movies that I love. Uh, think, of, think of like your favorite movie of rescue. When does it happen? At the last possible moment, right? I can remember, I know there's some Lord of the Rings fans in here. I can remember uh, the Two Towers movie. If anybody can remember that one, there's a battle going on and it just seems like all is lost. And Aragon remembers the wizard, remembers Gandalf saying something to him about if you look to the east, I will come. And he, he lifts up his eyes and he sees Gandalf coming down on the mountain at the last possible moment to bring rescue. I got to tell you, when I saw that movie for the first time, I had a scripture pop to my mind. It doesn't happen as much as I would like for it to, but it happened. It popped to my mind and it was, I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Oh man, so all the good stuff in movies got robbed from the Bible, right? It got robbed from the story of Jesus Christ, of a God who comes to get us. Anytime your heart soars and your spirit is lifted in a movie theater by a story of rescue, whether it's a superhero movie or it's an, an old, kind of like set in an old, foreign, different world, fantastical movie, the reason why that reverberates within your soul is because it is a little piece, uh, just a, like a, 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 a bad... Um, knockoff version. I say it's bad. I enjoy it. But compared to the gospel, it is a bad knockoff version of the ultimate rescue story of the God who came to save us at the last possible moment when everything was so chaotic in the fullness of time, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come for us. That is a rescue. And guess what? There's no gospel without rescue. There's no good news without rescue. We can try to try to create a story where we work our way to heaven, where we find our way out of a deep hole. We can tell all kinds of stories about if you just do this, this, and this, God will love you and save you. When in reality, the story of Christmas, the story of Advent is a God who comes down, who descends and says, you on your own are worthless. You're like sheep scattered about. You have no idea what's going on. But guess what? I love you anyway, and I'm coming to get you. I'm coming to rescue you because true love descends. There is no gospel without rescue. As the shepherd, God restores and will restore what has been lost. He will bring Israel back to its land. Again, we see that fulfillment before Jesus even, but we see it ultimately in the end when God sets everything right in glory. He will bring them back to to safety and prosperity. He will make them lie down. That is a word of safety. He will feed them with good pasture. That is a word of prosperity. He will, according to verse 16, and it's just a list of stuff about all the things that God is going to do. He's going to bring back the strays. He's going to bind up the injured. He's going to strengthen the weak, and he's going to destroy the fat and the strong, the voices among them that are leading them astray. In other words, he's going to bring justice. He's going to do those things. He's going to set it all right. Even though we sometimes feel like sheep without a shepherd, because indeed we sometimes are, he is coming to establish himself as the good shepherd, as the one who will bring rescue. John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus says these words, I believe, in fulfillment, partially, of the words in Ezekiel. I am the good shepherd. I can't help but think that Jesus knew the Old Testament pretty well, that he, he knew God's word pretty well. He was known to quote it sometimes. Go, go read his, his stuff. Go read his work. He knew it. 
I can't help but think that he was picturing the prophecy in Ezekiel 34 when he said these words, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and again there's this word scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep just like the leaders of Israel. Jesus says, though, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. While Ezekiel's prophecy about Israel was about Israel being restored, Jesus in John 10 is announcing the ultimate fulfillment of this and every other prophecy about a rescuer coming. Jesus is God as a shepherd living among and rescuing the sheep. A good shepherd smells like sheep. By the way, I'm I'm ripping that off from somebody. I tried to look at who said that first, but so many people have said it that I don't know who said it first. But it's a good line. A good shepherd smells like sheep. Think about that for a minute. I grew up around cotton farmers and and people who worked cattle. And and, and I knew when they would come in, I I knew that they had been working because they smelled like it. There's just something. Those of you who have worked in, in, in some sort of farming industry, you know that you just smell like soil, right? Or you know, in, in, the, in the day that, that, that I was helping farm cotton, you smelled like chemical sometimes because we worked with a lot of it. You just get that stuff on you, and there's no getting off of it. It's that way in, in many industries. Um, I th- I've always thought it would be fun to be to know a barista really well who works at Starbucks, and they get off, and they come home, and they just smell like coffee. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like, like they can't help but smell like coffee. How wonderful that must be. I'm sure it gets old and annoying eventually, but how wonderful in my mind that must be to have someone come home every day and bring the smell of coffee into the room with you. Amen. I'm glad you're here. I'm so glad you're home to get that stink all over you. And sometimes there's stink that doesn't go away that you wish would go away. Somebody who works in the oil industry, you know that to be the case. Or if you worked at a, a different part uh, of the cattle industry, you know that to be the case. Bill knows this. He grew up, he spent a lot of time in Lubbock. I remember going to Lubbock several times, and if the wind was out of the wrong direction and the feedlot was blowing onto Highway 84, that was a smell you could not get away from. <clears throat> it's choking me up just thinking about it. When you're around that kind of work, whatever that work is, it rubs off on you, quite literally. It gets in your clothes. It even gets in your skin to the point that you can't get rid of it. That's how much Jesus loves his sheep, that he's going to get down and he's going to pick them up and he's going to carry them home, so much so that he doesn't worry about getting the smell and the stink and the dirtiness on them. Other people were worried about that. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they were worried about Jesus getting too close and they would call him a drunkard and the guy who hung out with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes and Jesus just kept them coming on. Come, come on. Who, who, who says that you sin? Who, who is here like saying that something is wrong with you? Nobody? Okay, well then look, you're loved. Go and sin no more. You're a sinner. I want to come to your house to eat supper or to eat lunch today. Uh, he, he put himself purposefully in the path, in the pastures of the sheep. 
He descended and got down to their level, and he did it most prominently in two places. One, in the nativity, when he came as a child, as an infant. Man, this truth is so common in the church today that we still, because we've allowed it to become so familiar, we have lost the impact of it that the maker of heaven and earth and everything that exists from the largest stars to the tiniest particles of an atom, everything that exists was created by this God who came to us as an infant child. Christ has come as an infant human. The most helpless creature on the planet is a newborn human. And Christ came to us in that way. He stooped. Down to our level. He knelt down in the Christmas story and he kept kneeling down. He kept kneeling down when he washed the feet of his apostles. He kept kneeling down when he was willing to, to the woman who was gathering the crumbs, when he was willing to talk to her and uh, commend her for her faith. He kept kneeling down even as he hung on a cross for our sake. He kept kneeling down. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Christ lived a life, not just was born of birth, but lived a life of getting down on our level. And I hope that in the story of Advent, in the story of the gospel, you see that. Because what I see in my head is a beautiful picture of how I can remember when I was a little kid and I was hurt and my parents would come and say, come here, come here. Look, it's going to be okay. I've, I've got you. I'm here. I can remember one time in particular I was deathly afraid of storms as a kid and the power went off. And I freaked out. We didn't have any candles that it just kind of happened. That happened a lot in West Texas. The power went off easy. And I remember not knowing what to do and I just, even in the darkness, I ran to the sound of my mom's voice. It's going to be okay. And it was immediately as soon as she said those words. That's how simple it was as a child. Oh, for it to be that simple again. And for even in the midst of the darkness, a scattered sheep in a chaotic world, may we be, be reminded that God has prophesied, has begun to fulfill his prophecy in Jesus, and will one day fulfill it perfectly. That although the leaders of the world and the people of our churches, the people of our families have failed, there is a good shepherd who has come and is coming again. He will be among his people, and he will rescue them. Because true love the sins. He is literally one of us. He literally got down on our level. So let me ask you a question before we move on. Are you willing to stoop for others? To whose level do you need to descend? Smelling like sheep sometimes means smelling, well, terrible. You know what I'm talking about. If you have kids, you certainly know what I'm talking about. Are you willing to smell like that for the sake of the gospel? Every time we dive into someone else's world, into someone else's pain, we are telling them about a God who descends, about a God who stoops, about a God who gets on their level out of love. True love descends. This is the story of Christmas of Advent. This is the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ.
a God who we all turned our back on by choosing our own path, sinning and falling short of his glory, came down to us, not because we deserved it, but because he is a loving father, a loving God. So this morning, I want you to hear two things. One, God descended through Jesus Christ for you. You do not have a saving relationship with him. Today would be an awesome time to start one. I want you to know that on that first Christmas, God sent Jesus for you, for the billions of other people on the planet as well, but you. He had you in mind. He descended to you. And if you want to know more, more about that, I'll be down here to pray with you. Daniel will be at the back in the Welcome Center. If you like a little privacy, you can pray there with him as well. That's number one. The second thing, again, a question I've already asked, are you willing to descend for others? Are you willing to stoop for someone else? For whom can you be Christ-like? Step into their world, step into their pain, and point them, not to yourself as a shepherd, but to the good shepherd about the story of him descending for you. Those are the two things I want you to think about during our time of invitation. And again, I'll be down here if you would like to respond to either one of those. The altar will be open if you'd like to pray there. Daniel will be in the back, and I'll hang around after the service as well if you'd like to pray then. And as always, you can pray right right where you're at. (coughs) Let's stand together. I'm going to pray, and I encourage you to move in whatever way God is leading you to as Bill and Lynn lead us in our song of invitation. Father, again, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for coming to us, coming to get us. God, we thank you for descending. God, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning who does not know you as Savior, God, that you would once again, as you already have through your spirit, get down on their level and call them home. And God, if there are those of us who do know you and do follow you, God, may you lay on our hearts someone to whom we can descend to, someone that we can get on the same level as, that we can tell about you and who you are. I pray those things in Jesus' name. Amen.